I bench pressed 300 pounds recently. <laughs> well, I don't. <laughs> and sent you the video. <laughs> Welcome, everybody, to the Halfway There cast. I'm Tyler. And I'm Eric. And we want to welcome you in today for our discussions on theology, pastor care, 80s hair metal, and everything under the sun. Hope all is well with you all today. Eric, how are you doing today, brother? I'm doing just fine. How are you, Tyler? I'm doing well on a rainy day here in Somerset. Um, kind of in the way of introduction, this being our first official podcast, uh, like I said earlier, my name's Tyler. I pastor at Cedar Point Baptist Church in Nancy, Kentucky. Uh, this will actually be my six-year anniversary this Sunday, so looking forward to that. Uh, been married to, I'm married to my wife, Natasha. We have three kids, Leanne, Elijah, and Ellie, all from the ages of 27 to 10. I'm sure we'll talk about that sometime. And Eric and I have been friends since the fifth or sixth grade, depending on which one of us you ask. And thankfully, uh, Christ has held the bonds of our friendship together through many years, many changes, and his providence has been good all along the way. Eric, tell me about you and your family. Absolutely. Well, I am pastor of Moreland First Baptist Church and been here a little over 12 years now. Been pastoring all together for about 15 and I've definitely known you since fifth grade. <laughs> Uh, my, my wife and I have been married for uh, 18 years, Amanda, and we have three kids, Walker, Aubrey, and Leah, and they're ages 10, 14, and 16. So uh, looking forward to this podcast because there are a lot of things, hopefully, that we can offer as far as Bible and pastoring and friendship in general and Definitely some good 80, 80s uh, hair band stuff. Absolutely. Looking forward to that. So uh, let's just kick off right here with where me and you are both at. Uh, we're both bivocational pastors. Uh, do you want to kind of give definition to that? In case our listeners need to know what that is. Kind of a strange phrase, I guess. Yeah, that's something you don't really hear in the workplace too often. But bivocational essentially is just where you pastor. It doesn't necessarily mean you're a part-time pastor because there really is no such thing. You always have the same responsibilities, uh, but you need to make up some uh, differences in income. So get a get another job to kind of supplement that, or sometimes that, that job is the main thing as far as uh, what brings in the income, but it's just a way to Make sure your family's taken care of and still getting to pastor as well. So what I do is uh, my pastor, I look at that as my main thing, and I also teach school. I'm a special education teacher, and I'm always trying to find a few other things to do on the side. My family and I are doing some photographs and picture taking and things like that right now. Uh, so that's what we do. So uh, what do you do, Tyler? Well, I do woodworking uh, on the side. But but kind of like you as well. My main thing is pastoring. Um, I always try to look at the uh, the other vocation as something just to help us get by. I guess you could say add a little extra money. To always try to balance that with the work of being a pastor. And and even though we both are bivocational pastors, kind of like you said, it's uh, it's a full time job regardless of of what the title is. Uh, it, you know, I, I think you and I are similar where we're probably teaching, you know, two to three times every week, probably a Sunday morning, Sunday night, even a Wednesday night, and carrying a lot of those responsibilities. Because I think are are you also the only pastor in your church? Yeah, yeah. So I I do anything that needs to be done. I I need to make sure that it gets done. Uh, one way or the other. So definitely taking care of that. And that, that's an all the time thing too. Um, so that's during the day. That's if somebody needs a hospital visit, that's people texting me, asking questions all throughout the week, all while carrying on uh, another job. 
Right, right. And I'm right there with you. And and a lot of what uh, we'll bring to this podcast will be from that perspective of bivocational pastors. And I don't know the numbers, probably should have looked them up before the podcast, but I would imagine that most, uh, and we're in the Southern Baptist circle, we're, we're Southern Baptist churches. Um, most of our probably pastors in the Southern Baptist Convention are bivocational pastors. And so we, everything we're going to bring to this is kind of going to become from that perspective, I guess you could say, of two guys that are doing their best to uh, raise their families in the ways of the Lord and lead them in the ways of the Lord, uh, pastoring churches, holding down jobs, busy, busy people. <laughs> and so, yeah. um, but it I seems I, like I, I, oh, I'm sorry. No, go ahead. Go ahead. Uh, seems like I well, I know I saw a study here recently showing that it seems like the majority of pastors anymore are bivocational, and that's just kind of the way the trend is going. And it, it maybe wasn't so uh, when you and I were younger, because it seems like in years past, when somebody was a pastor, for the most part, that's what they did. Of course, you would see somebody do another job every now and then, but the trend nowadays is more so leaning toward that. And some people even use the, the phrase co-vocational, but it's definitely a, a thing that's happening more and more. Yeah. And I, I, me personally, I think uh, I've talked to my wife about this often is I believe I would have a hard time just knowing how I'm wired um, being a full-time using air quotes there, full-time pastor, uh, just as I, you know, I like to, be busy, I guess a little bit of just not being able to settle in and just do something, but like to step away for a little bit or something like that. I guess having, you know, being able to work within the time that I want, I don't know how I would do with office hours. Uh, woodworking for me is a good release. I can kind of go down in my shop and, you know, chew on a little bit of some of the things I've studied, think about them in a different context and uh, helps me develop some ideas why I guess my my hands and my body are doing one thing, but my mind can be focused on something else. Um, it's a it's a very helpful process for me, I guess you could say. I'm very thankful to be a bivocational pastor. Uh, I think when I went into ministry, you know, did the Bible college and all that, certainly my aspirations then were to be a full-time pastor. That was, that was the plan, but uh, the Lord had other plans and the Lord knew how um, I needed to be used, especially at this season of life. Yeah, and I had the same sort of outlook on ministry when I first began in my early 20s was – I, I guess that's just what I thought the model was. You maybe pastor a small church and then do that a few years. Then you go up to a little bit bigger church and eventually uh, you get into a great big church or something. And that's just what I thought needed to happen. That's not what's happened with me. And that's not uh, a desire that I even really have anymore. You know, I just want to wherever the Lord wants me, that's where I need to be. And that's what I'll do. And I don't have any any desire to be uh, anything else. Life has a way of, of changing your perspective and changing your uh, outlook and different things, what God puts into your life and things like that too. And I, I do want to say, I'm really glad you mentioned that you go down to the wood shop and you uh, said chew on. So I was, I thought you were going to say chew on some wood while you were down there. Like I, I, I thought that was going to be didn't didn't know what you're doing with that, but I th you clarified that you chew on the word of God while you're at the wood shop. Yeah, yeah maybe some wood too sometimes. Uh, <laughs> uh, uh, how have you you've you've pastored longer than I have? How many years have you pastored? I should know this exactly, but I, I know it's somewhere close to sixteen years. I think it's fifteen, but almost sixteen. Okay, it might be sixteen now, somewhere around that. Now, but you, you you've been a pastor. Uh, in a shorter amount of time than I have, but you've also worked as youth pastors. I mean, so you've been in ministry. Yeah, yeah, I've been in ministry. I was, I was in a youth pastor for oh six or seven years. Again, I, I didn't really count them. Um, but uh, have all of your pastorates been bivocational? Yes and no. Um, the first church I was at was definitely a bivocational church. I was there three years, then had a short stint at a church uh, closer to a big city. And that was technically supposed to be full-time, uh, but I ended up teaching some college religion classes online along with that. 
I wasn't there very long before I came to the church that I'm at now. And since I've been here, I've had seasons, short seasons where this is all that I've done. But most of the time I've had other part-time jobs within the last four years or so started teaching uh, school as well. So I, I've had glimpses of what somebody would call full-time, but I've mostly been by vocation. Okay. I thought that. Um, yeah. And uh, I did though when I got into pastoring or when I was a youth pastor, you mentioned that I had a full-time job when I started that. And certainly the youth pastor role was quite a bit different. Uh, and we had at the church, we were a smaller church, but we did have a um, elder board. So there were, I think when I came in one, two, three, four, five men on the elder board for a smaller church. So you could, you know, you could kind of pass around the responsibilities amongst many. Uh, so I actually came in as doing full-time construction and I guess you could say the providence of the Lord eventually moving me away from that and then going back to Bible school and even, but, but even in that transition, I thought, okay, I get done with this. I'm going to be a full-time pastor now. That's what I'm going to do. And the transition then to the church that I pastor now where that wasn't just wasn't what was going to happen. And, but really even kind of, as you said, it implied that finding contentment in being a bivocational pastor and where the Lord has me in this season, because uh, it wasn't always there, but, and, and I would encourage any bivocational pastor that's kind of looking ahead, hoping that one day I can be that uh, full-time pastor. Well, no, find contentment where you're at. Uh, I hear of many people uh, will leave a church, leave the church they're pastoring, looking for a full-time job, being a full-time pastor. Well, I think we just have to find contentment with whatever the Lord has and pastor the people we have instead of always looking for the next best thing. And I think that's kind of affected a lot of the pastoral ministry that we see. It's it's became a and we call it bivocational. It's became a vocation and not so much a calling, I guess you could say. Yeah. And I know before it was the way I looked at things, it was kind of looked down upon from a lot of perspectives. If you, if you were just a, a bivocational pastor, just a part-time pastor, like you were on a different level than the ones that were the real pastors, the full-time. Right. So I remember, I remember even the Bible college I went to, uh, they would have different preachers come in for chapel and one week it was some bivocational guy and that was what they made a big deal about it's like hey here's this guy and we don't we don't know how he does it and how he works this other job and pastors too but but just the way he was kind of viewed was you know there's pastors and then there's the part-time guys and that's not that's not how that's the wrong outlook to have for sure and contentment is absolutely the key with what you're talking about. And if you're just, you know, just do what the Lord has you to do, whatever that is. Be happy with your family and love them. Love the people that God has given you to serve. And and don't have these these big aspirations of, of being, a, I don't know, an evangelical rock star or whatever people start off with. It's kind of how I look at it. Absolutely. And I think that's a great thing talking about, you know, the, the evangelical rock star, you know, we all, we all want to have those aspirations and do things like that. Uh, but, that really, and going, going back to that, that just kind of spurred a thought. Maybe some of that was when you and I were younger, we were, we had plans to be rock stars for a we, while. We did. We did. Since our friendship goes back so far, we, <laughs> Uh, we were in a band together. You were the drummer. I was a guitar player. And uh, it was the shortest lived. Whenever they do the VH1 behind the scenes of us, <laughs> it was the shortest lived uh, band thing in history. Yeah. Yeah. I think that was more of your, uh, you were pursuing rock stardom and you, you brought me along for the ride. <laughs> <laughs> well, I uh, wanted to make sure to bring you, bring you along. I didn't yeah. want to leave you behind. Yeah, the problem was, I mean, we never could find anyone to sing. Me, I wouldn't do it. You wouldn't do it. None of our friends would do it. So we were uh, strictly instrumental. Uh, Turns out that bands need a singer. <laughs> that's exactly right. Uh, really quick, before we move on, 
we used to have a tradition in our high school days, uh, Thursday night, uh, me and you and a couple of the other guys from the football team, we would frequent a local delicacy, uh, the Peking Chinese restaurant. It was an all you could eat buffet. And, you know, sometimes there was about five of us. Sometimes there was 10 of us and we would uh, fill ourselves full with uh, sodium and MSG and pop before uh, our, our football games on Friday night. Uh, speak speak on that a little bit, uh, Eric. Yeah, absolutely. We were definitely content when we were finished uh, there, probably more so. But we, looking back on that, that's crazy because, like, if I eat um, Mexican food or spaghetti or something past six o'clock now, it's, it's like I've got heartburn. I can't function. Uh, but back then, our pregame meal was this all-you-can-eat uh, buffet. And if you remember, our goal was, do you remember how many plates we tried to eat? I, the only thing I can remember is uh, we went <laughs> we went to Sonny's one night, and I, we, we diverted from the Peking for some reason. And we went to Sonny's, and they had all-you-could-eat ribs. And I don't necessarily remember how many of us there were but we ate over a hundred ribs and it was such a feat <laughs> that some of the staff came out and had their picture made with us. <laughs> um, I actually ran into somebody last week um, that remembered that and, and spoke to it, uh, Matt. And he was talking about okay. the good old days when, yeah. uh, when we did that. But yeah, we uh, at the Peking restaurant, we would put together four plates, <laughs> one to represent each quarter. If you remember so when we would get to the fourth plate, we would raise up four fingers. And, of course, we were wearing our football jerseys yeah. while we do this. And then we'd go out and play football the next day somehow. Yeah, I know. And, uh, if if I ate like that today, I'm in bed. I'm in bed for two days. <laughs> it's just it's not going to work. But back then it turned you into an all-state player. Like, like that's what pushed you, I think, was uh, – uh, yeah. Gave you that extra kick. <laughs> that was good times, though. We we had a, we would always go um, on the Thursdays after practice and and go somewhere and eat. And Peking was one of the restaurants we frequented. And it's not it's not here in town anymore. They they moved out. Uh, it's uh, heart wrenching. Yes, uh, demolished the building. It's now a gas station. Uh, so so shout out to the staff. It's Peking, uh, Sally and her crew. Uh, yes, they were one of a it kind. And if anybody from Peking is listening, please contact me. I would like to purchase uh, some recipes, please. <laughs> there you go. Good deal. Okay. Good deal. Yes. All right. You sent me a text this week. Um, Steve Lawson. Steve Lawson is, uh, I'll speak for myself. Steve Lawson is a preacher that I, I follow. I like to listen to. He's fire in the pulpit. Uh, you know, sometimes I think, man, I could wish I could preach like Steve Lawson. Uh, writes many biograph Christian biographies of, of men of the faith. Uh, actually, has a podcast that I love listening to myself about uh, the martyrs and some people that came before us. Um, tell me, tell me about that text you sent me this week. Well, he had made the statement: people who um, believe in the sovereignty of God and salvation, and believe that God, the process of salvation, is from beginning to end His work. Um, he was saying people like that, and he, he used Calvinist, tend to or can, I guess, kind of default to being hyper-Calvinist when it comes to evangelism, meaning it's just all fatalistic. God's going to save who he wants to save. Therefore, I don't have any urgency in evangelizing. And I don't think you or I, either one, view things like that. Um, surely there are people that do that say, hey, they trust in God so much that God's so much in control that it doesn't matter what I do. Uh, therefore, I'm just not going to do anything. And God's going to save who he wants to. And and that's that's kind of the, the hyper or the one end of the spectrum of that application of that. So I was just kind of wondering when I sent you that, what kinds of ways that you uh, personally make evangelism a priority in your preaching uh, specifically and, and how you do that each and every week. Yeah. And, you know, uh, I think 
it's uh, right now it's easy. I'm preaching through the Gospel of John. Well, no, actually, I'm taking a little break, preaching through the covenants, but I have been preaching the Gospel of John since the beginning of last year. So I've been in a year and a half in the Gospel of John and just taking a break through July right now. But uh, and, it, it, and you're in what ch- chapter two or three now? Stop. After stop. <laughs> I'm in chapter eight. You're you're not very far. I'm in oh, chapter, you made it to chapter eight. I'm okay. in chapter eight. I am in chapter eight. Yes. Uh, <laughs> you and my other friends are giving me a hard time about this, <laughs> but uh, I'm in chapter eight. And but you know, you you're preaching through the Gospel of John. It's pretty easy to make a beeline to Jesus because it's about Jesus. Uh, but let's think about in more of those those books that maybe Old Testament books or something like that. Um, even some of the epistles, which the epistles are a direction to the church, telling them how to be the church and things of that nature, which, you know, kind of there in the, the, the seeds of what is being saying is that you're doing this because of Christ. Um, but, but preaching the gospel and, and using uh, that preaching time to uh, share the good news of Jesus to be evangelistic in those times. And I think me and you kind of have came from the same places where maybe early on in our ministry, even now we, we kind of have, have pulled back from that a little bit because of what we've experienced, a very revivalistic culture when it comes to preaching and even understanding um, the Sunday morning sermon should not be, and let me, I want to finish my whole saying here before someone gets mad at me, but our Sunday morning sermon is for the church first, but also understanding that as you are preaching to the church on Sunday morning, that uh, there are lost people sitting in those pews, whether they be church members or whether they not be. Uh, So the gospel must be brought forth um, through those sermons. And uh, here's what we can't do. I want to say what we can't do first. We can't super spiritualize everything um, and and try to get the gospel out of that. Uh, I think a big part of this is doing our work, you know, in our study. Uh, that's where these things should come to bear, and 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 figuring out how hermeneutically how the text that we're preaching brings forth the gospel, making a, making a beeline to Jesus with the text that we're preaching, not just throwing a canned gospel presentation on the end of a sermon. I don't think that helps anything. Yeah, absolutely. And let me add also that we preach the gospel each week um, because there may be lost people in the congregation. Uh, there also could be people who think they're saved in the congregation who are not, who have not truly understood the gospel and they need to hear it. And then a third group of people um, are people who are saved, but as saved people, we need to continually be brought back to the cross and everything because everything goes back to the cross and how we live life and how we uh, can face hard times and how we love our spouse in any situation, everything uh, points back to the cross. So, so looking at it as those three groups, the saved people need to be reminded of the gospel. People who are under the false assumption of being saved need to hear the gospel. And that was me for several years, by the way, mm-hmm. sitting in church thinking I was saved and I wasn't. And then the people who just don't know or or just blatantly say, "Hey, I am lost." Right. So it is. It is our job, like you said. It's. It's not just when we say preaching the gospel or being evangelistic, it's not just uh, at the end of the service, raise your hand if you want to be saved or let me kind of give you 30 seconds of what Jesus did for you. It has to tie into to the text somehow mm-hmm. because everything in the Bible either points to Jesus or flows from what Jesus has, has done. Mm-hmm. So, so it's important to do that. A right exposition of the text gets us to the gospel. Um, and and kind of, so what you're saying there is uh, everyone there needs the gospel, whether lost, whether saved, whether 
deceived, whatever situation, everyone needs the gospel. I think Martin Lloyd-Jones talked about preaching the gospel to yourself daily. And so, but we're not preaching for hand raised at the end. We're not preaching for, uh, to pad our stats, use a sports term. Um, We're preaching for hearts to be changed by the good news of Jesus. And, and I think me and you, you know, I, you don't use an altar call, correct? Is that? We do not. I, I tell um, our congregation each week, we do a song at the end more yeah. so as a congregational affirmation or mm-hmm. praise. And then I always, and we do announcements before we leave and I always make sure everybody knows, Hey, if you have questions, uh, please don't leave here having those on your heart. You know, come talk to me if you, want to know about more about what it means to be saved or right. baptism or church membership or any of that. But as far as a time where we say, Hey, walk forward down this aisle um, to come down here and, and secure your spot or whatever. We don't do that. Right. Because isn't a correct response to hearing the word of God, an actual heart of worship. I think it's Psalm 51. Uh, if I could give a sacrifice, I would, but what is pleasing to the Lord, a broken and contrite heart. That is what is pleasing to the Lord. And so that's what the word of God should do. It should uh, mold our hearts, form our hearts where we are broken and contract before God. And, and then uh, the church gives a avenue to worship at the end through song together. I mean, that's, that's a beautiful response to God's word. Yeah, absolutely. And I think a lot of times people, when they have the perspective or they're thinking about things, as far as evangelism goes, they're thinking about the preacher that gets up and just kind of is really loud and spits and gets mm-hmm. very uh, uh, charismatic is is a word that would fit there. And a lot of people associate that with evangelistic preaching. Mm-hmm. Well, a lot of times when that happens, you don't know the substance of what the preacher said, but you more so pay attention to, oh, he he really brought it today. He brought the house down today kind of a thing. And you're more so focused on what he did. But uh, the power is in in the gospel, right? Not not how loud I preach it or how animated I am when I preach it. It's it's in the gospel. It's in God's word. Um, so, so we have this trust, or I, I know you do, and I do as well. We have a trust when we preach that the word of God will not return unto him void and it will accomplish what he sets it out to do. Mm-hmm. So everything goes back to the gospel, but you've got to make that distinction. It's not, it's not an animated presentation that ends in raising your hand. It's showing people what Jesus did. Um, why he had to do it and how that affects your life. Mm-hmm. And so er- everything goes back to that. For me, and one thing that uh, when I began to really, we did it a couple years ago, we did a, we call them equipping times at church. We do them on Saturdays. We do four a year and we did one on evangelism. So I, you know, took a month and just dove into every good book about evangelism that I could get my hands on. And just, you know, studied through them. I, I don't want to say I read every one of them. I certainly didn't, but, you know, went through them enough to understand. And one thing that I kind of walked away from that with, and I think was even the thrust of the whole teaching that weekend was uh, the parable of the sower that, that he went out, he threw seeds on the ground. And after he threw the seeds on the ground, he wasn't really effective in anything else that happened to the seed, except that he just threw the seeds on the ground. And ultimately, God would be the one that would give growth to the seed. And, and that really freed me in my preaching to understand that the result of what happens when I'm done preaching is not contingent on anything that I did, except that I threw the seeds of the gospel out. And I, the the pressure and the, oh, just the weight of walking into a pulpit and to believe that I have to take this 30 to 45 minute time and get these people to a point that they make this decision by my power. That's an impossible weight to bear. 
And, and I, I believe that's probably why we see so many pastors burn out and things of that nature that, that we have to, in our evangelism, especially from the pulpit, our responsibility is just like you said, to, to put the word of God out and let the word of God do its work and the God of the word do the work and us to trust the process in that. Absolutely. And so many pastors do try to bear that burden, uh, whether they admit it or not. That's what they're trying to do. Uh, the last time that my church had a revival, uh, and I'm doing my air quotes there, mm-hmm. revival service here was almost a decade ago. And the last night of the revival, the the evangelist, the preacher was pretty much pulling people out of the pews to come forward. He, he hadn't seen, I guess, what he wanted to see as far as people coming forward a few nights before. Uh, so that night there were kids going up and he was, uh, there was a lot of pressure put on those kids. Well, the thing about it, n- none of that stuck or anything. Right. I, I have no idea where those kids are today and didn't know uh, shortly after that. It was just all uh, caught up in the moment kind of a thing. And that's what you revert to if you feel like, hey, I've got to do something here in order to get some sort of response out of these people. But that's that's not trusting in the Lord. You uh, study his word and you put his word out there just saying what it says and tell the people what God has already said and trust him to do the work. Right. And, and I think so, To I guess we got away from the question or the thought, but to answer that is study the word, preach the word, trust the word, trust the God of the word to bring the results that he desires, um, but be faithful to preach the word. And, and that's it, to preach the gospel. Uh, not, you know, like you said, not can a presentation at the end or ask for hands to be raised, but to preach the gospel, um, to do the work in the study. And, I, you know, I'm thankful for people like you that have discipled me and others that just showed me the importance of what happens Monday to Saturday in, in the study that no one else sees uh, because that the, what happens on Sunday in the pulpit is the overflow of that work. Yeah. And I would personally, I would conclude with as far as what we're talking about here, that approaching things the way that we've talked about is the more evangelistic way to do it than somebody who, uh, who who's doing the whole putting on a show anim- animated kind of a thing. Um, it, the more you're trusting in his word and trusting in the gospel, then those three categories that we talked about earlier of people, um, God will apply the gospel to them as he sees fit. Um, it's, and like you said, it's our job just to plant the seed. Mm-hmm. Uh, somebody said it, and I, I thought it was pretty good. Um, it's our job to get the message to their ears, but then the Holy Spirit's job to get it, that message from the ears to the heart. Yeah. And you know, maybe that's not the most perfect way of thinking about it, but it is kind of a good visual of, you know, we've just got to tell them. We've just got right. to say what God has already said. That's right. That's right. Uh, yeah. You sent me a text, another text this week with a tweet from Clay Travis. 25% of 40 year olds have never married. That blew me away. In 1980, it was just 6%. There's a lot of focus on climate change, way, way too much, honestly. But do you know what the biggest danger humanity faces is? We aren't having enough kids. Human population is on track to collapse in decades ahead. Yeah, so that kind of hit me because you and I are 40. We are exactly that age. And um, years ago, I've been married um, 18, uh, going on 19 years. You were the best man at my wedding. Yeah. And and you married me. Yes. (laughs) You married me in my life. (laughs) Yeah. Get that clear there. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, so, and, and and so we were each involved in, in one another's wedding. That was years ago. What year did you get married in? Again, oh, 2007, I 2008. I put you, put, you on, put you on the spot there. Four, I think we're 14 years in. To, oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, 09. We were married in 09. Uh, 
09. Okay. Yeah. 09. I, I knew it was somewhere in that, yeah. in that area, but so, I mean, you, you've been married well over a decade now. Yeah. And, but as I, as you look around people, our age, a lot of them, even a lot of the ones that we went to school with are never married. A lot of people don't have any intentions of getting married. Uh, people, I think don't even see why you would want to get married. Yeah. And that's just a, a different kind of mindset uh, that's that's really becoming prevalent. And especially for people our age, it's, it's strange that that many have never been married at, at this point. Yeah. And I mean, we go back to, you know, command of scripture, be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth. I mean, that's in the very fabric of creation. And I mean, we shouldn't uh, ex- we should expect that. Uh, this world is it rebels against those <laughs> creation mandates. I mean, we can look at so many things, but um, yeah, it's, it's troubling. Uh, I don't usually do this, but uh, for mother's day and father's day this year, I did sermons for biblical womanhood and biblical uh, manhood. Um, and usually I'll just stay right in my text, but I, I did it this year because I just felt that we, we needed clarity on these things and something that struck me. So uh, when, I, when I did manhood, I did a kind of a exposition of Moses's life. So we went through the, the high points of Moses's life and um, I was reading the scripture in uh, the, the beginning of Exodus when uh, Moses was born and the Pharaoh put out that decree that every, uh, male, firstborn male, uh, or every male of the Jews be killed. And that just kind of struck me. I was like, whoa, something's, uh, something's, that's, that's, something struck me. And so, of course, uh, Herod having uh, the, the, the boys killed in the Gospels. And then even our culture today, that is, um, manhood is a curse word in our culture today. <laughs> Yeah, and so absolutely, just, we're, we're we're being feminized, and um, the lines of masculinity and and it's femininity or femininity, sure. There it is now. Yeah, uh, they're being so blurred that I mean, and that's in, in every instance when Scripture says something. If you look at it, our culture always does the exact opposite. Mm-hmm. So. Um, Scripture says he created them male and female. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, man is joined to his wife. He, he leaves his mother and cleaves to his wife. And mm-hmm. and uh, our culture says, no, what's the point right. of that? Right. And there is no sense of being a male or female. If you if you want to do you know, whatever you feel and you don't have to get married and you can be promiscuous to, to no end. And it's just complete opposite of what scripture said, but it's, it's to the point where that many people of our age sees uh, no point of being married, apparently. And the, the thought with that marriage, ultimately, again, talking about the gospel, again, marriage points to the gospel mm-hmm. of, of, what Jesus has done for us. Um, husbands are supposed to love their wives as Christ loved the church. So marriage is a picture, a small glimpse of that covenant relationship of the gospel. And culture has nothing that want nothing to do with it. Right. Absolutely. And, you know, even um, I just, that just shocks me just the, that, that 25% of 40 year olds never married. And I have, I have a son that's 18, uh, 18 right now. And so we're, you know, on the manhood thing and helping him understand what it is to be a man. And we were in the vehicle yesterday going to get some pain or something. And uh, we were just chatting and uh, we were, we were talking and I said, I'm trying to remember what I was like when I was your age. And uh, you know, the things that had me hung up and things like that. And I said, you know, he said, well, he said, the cultures are completely different. And I said, well, I said, they are. And I said, but tell me what you mean. Explain to me what you mean by that. Because that was important to me, what he thought that meant. And he said, well, he goes, I'll be honest with you. He said, we're soft today. 
He says, our culture is soft. He said, we don't like to hear no. And we don't like to, you know, we don't like to be told we're doing something wrong. And now that's, that's not from me. I'm not being old uh, curmudgeon here. This was from my 18 year old son. And so, and he was admitting that about himself. And, but uh, you know, I, I think, and so even that, that thing from Clay Travis, I, I, I believe that the, and I don't even want to say our culture. I want to say that Satan wants cultures with weak men. That's what he wants. Yeah. And that, that is nothing against females. Not that, that is nothing against females because when there's weak men, we have seen in the church for centuries that, that women have rose up and have carried the ball for us when we couldn't. And, but, but, Satan wants cultures of weak men because when there are weak men, he can plow over the culture. Um, And, you know, so I read that, that text that you sent me and that that's just my, my mind goes to the 40 year, (laughs) the 40 year old sitting in mom's basement is where my mind goes. uh, Just thinking about that, you know, and I just think we, we're culturally a people that, uh, we don't want expectations. We don't want responsibilities. We just want to do what we want to do and forget about what God's word says and what our creator says, what we were made to do. Um, I do want to caveat for a minute. And, and you know, I understand that Paul does talk about the blessingness of singleness, uh, but the blessingness of singleness is not to do what you want to do with your life. The blessingness of singleness is so that you can completely sell out to following Jesus in hard places. Uh, you're not yeah. you're not tied down to anything. So if if you're sitting there listening to this, you think, well, what about Paul's blessedness, the blessing of singleness? Why are you living like Paul was? Right. And most of the time, the answer is big no on that. Right. One. Absolutely. Absolutely. And uh, when you talk about weak men and strong men, uh, if you kind of had to summarize that, like what would you say are the characteristics of a, a strong man? Are you thinking, uh, Hey, he needs to be able to bench press 300 pounds or he has to be able to, you know, do some sort of big strength feat. Like, like what are you talking about when you say strength? Was that a, was that a plug to get me to say that you broke your PR of three hundred pound bench press? I did. I am forty <laughs> years old, and I I bench pressed three hundred pounds recently. Well, I don't. And sent you the video. <laughs> I don't. So no, I don't mean that. I don't mean that uh, you're a strong man. I'm not me. I don't mean that you are out every night. Uh, killing the food that your family's going to eat. I don't mean that, you know, you're, uh, you know, standing in your front yard, daring any man to come up and try to fight you and and you're going to whip him. That's, that's not what I'm talking about at all. Um, I believe that to, to be a man is to be a man of the scriptures and let the scriptures then form your thinking, your doing, your actions, your whole life. Um, one thing that, and I, I'm going to go back to my sermon. I just preached on Moses about this, but uh, Moses was a protector. Moses was an intercessor. And I, I think that's, you know, as I was studying the life of Moses there for that week, and that was the big thing that I noticed. Even before he was called by God, he was stepping between people and adversaries. Uh you know, you think of when he he stepped in and even killed that Egyptian man when he was attacking the Jews. He he stepped in the middle of something, uh, and then we see through um, the the wilderness journey of Israel after they came out of the Exodus, who was the one going to God on the behalf of the Israelites? Moses, and he would look at them and think, "You you you crazy people! Why are you doing this? I'm going to go up the mountain and I'm going to talk to God for you." And, and I think yeah. that that's it. So as a man, what do we do? Uh, we are an intercessor for our families, for our churches, for our friends, for the people that we know. Uh, we're, we're willing and able to go to God on their account. But even look at that practically. What does that look like in everyday life? Well, if my 18-year-old son finds himself in a situation that he doesn't need to be in, then dad needs to step in. If my daughter's 11, 10-year-old daughter's in a dangerous situation, dad needs to step in. 
And too often, and I think culturally what we've done, we want to sit back and we want to talk about all those things. We need men who act and don't sit, sit around and talk about. We need men who we're willing to not, not make plans, not do this, not do that, but step in and take action in these situations. I mean, we live in a world and a culture today, and, and I hesitate to even say that because I know cultures before us were bad too. But, but we live in the world today where so many people need people to step in for them and to act on their behalf. And, and all we have is, is people that really just want to talk about it and not take action in it. And it goes back to, and I guess to kind of uh, summarize what you're saying as far as how I'm hearing it, is you're talking a lot about taking responsibility, kind of shouldering the, the load, the burden for those that you're responsible for. And you mentioned earlier about how a lot of folks who are purposefully still single, you made the statement that one thing they don't want to do is be responsible for certain things. And I, I think that's kind of what it comes down to as well as that dividing line. It, you go from being a boy to a man, really, when you start taking responsibility for yourself and you start caring for others and mm-hmm. uh, providing for them and, and you work not because you, you love it, but you do it because you got to take care of your family. And um, so, so a, a weak man, would from thinking about what you've said and just our conversation as a whole, a weak man would only want to be concerned for himself and his, his pleasures and not being tied down. Whereas a strong biblical man would uh, put others before himself and have that responsibility, which, which again points back to God who became man, Jesus Christ, who, uh, laid his life down he he didn't come to be served but to serve and to give his life a ransom for for many and uh so yeah i I think you're you're dead on with that with the uh example of moses there and how he would step in and would intervene and and he took took that leadership on where so many others would not do that and then even, you know, the great commandments, love the Lord God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. I mean, it's it's in the fabric of who Jesus called us to be as Christians. It's in the very fabric. Yeah, absolutely. Well, I'll tell you what's not in the fabric is when me and you, again, back to our early days, we, uh, we frequented a lot of concerts. Uh, we did. Poison, Bon Jovi, I think Leonard Skinner, Ted Nugent. Um, but one enough is enough. Yeah, yeah, enough is enough. Government mule. Um, <laughs> uh, but there was one, one that I remember well at the. Uh, I don't know what it's called now. Is the Bridgestone Arena in Nashville at the time? Was it, is it called something yeah. else now? The Gaylord Bridgestone? Uh, I don't know. I'm not sure what it's called now. Corporate, yeah. corporate, corporate arena in Nashville. ACDC. ACDC. Yes, ACDC. Uh, and I can remember. <laughs> do you remember what they handed out as we walked in? Um, that's, I think, my core memory with it, um, with why I remember. Uh, wh- what do you remember that they handed out? Okay, so let's just context this a little bit better. Uh, me and you were church-going unbelievers at the time. Would that be fair? Yes, Church, yes. church-going unbelievers. We thought we were believers, but I mean, we were. I mean, you go to ACDC concerts, you want, but we were going to ACDC concerts and everything else. Uh, so as we walk in, uh, they hand us devil horns that light up. Is that? Oh what yes. You okay. I remember the flip side of that. Is what oh, I remember. Okay. What was the flip side? Okay. Well, I, I forgot about the devil. And you wore those, didn't you? I did. I remember. I did. Okay. okay. I think I kept them for a long time. <laughs> Let me uh, set up the reason we even went in the first place. If you remember, we had uh-huh. a friend, uh, Scott. Okay. And it, it was his birthday. And if you remember, um, you and I felt like we needed to get him something. We didn't have any money. We just had a few dollars. And uh, we went and bought lottery tickets 
in hopes of winning money so we could get him something. That's the only time I've ever played the lottery. In I my don't life. remember that. I don't remember that. Yeah, yeah. We, we went to the convenience store close to my mom's house. Okay. And we we immediately lost our money, so we didn't have any money. <laughs> so so what we did is we found out that ACDC was going to have a concert on television. Okay. And and so we told Scott we got him this present and told him he's going to an ACDC concert. And but the catch was it was going to be on TV. So he yeah. was really excited until he found out it was just a TV presentation. <sighs> um, and I think we might have felt bad. I don't know. But long story short, we ended up actually getting tickets to go to the real thing. But that's how it started. It started with us trying to do it. I do remember. Okay. I remember it being on TV now. I, I remember that part. <laughs> uh, what I remember um, standing outside, you remember the devil horns part, which is appropriate, but I remember a group of Christians oh, coming up. Oh, okay. And they were handing out tracks. Okay. And and I just remember thinking, you know, what are these what are these guys doing? I mean, yeah. like like why 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 are you doing this? And here we would have called ourselves Christians. Right. But here here are these Christians who are coming up to people like you and me at this concert waiting to get in and they're trying to tell us about Jesus. Mm-hmm. And that was I remember that more than anything, even in the concert, that that stuck out to me that somebody's trying to warn me and tell yeah. me, and I didn't want anything to do with them and didn't think anything of it. Right. Um, and so here, many years later, that and I don't know who it was, um, no. but they have they have affected me decades later because of that. Hmm. Well, see, you you remember that, and I remember the devil horns. Uh- <laughs> What two sides of the same coin there, man? Yeah, I, yeah I guess. I guess. <laughs> oh man, I remember though we didn't have good seats there. Usually we would get pretty good seats for concerts, but I, I remember being way up in the crowd. Uh, yeah, I don't. That, that's that's a kind of a blur to me for some yeah, reason. But my memory is terrible. I remember just bits and pieces of that. Well, you remember the lottery ticket things, and I had I could. I remember. do. Yeah, that was the only time we it was a scratch off. I don't a, know what it was. That was a valiant that, effort on our behalf, wasn't it? <laughs> that was uh, we were so wise. Say, hey, we've got five bucks. Let's uh, <laughs> let's go spend this on a lottery ticket so we can get more money. I'm sure it was your five bucks as well. <laughs> well, um, <laughs> didn't work out for us though. Man, huh? Yeah. Okay. Well, yeah. We we uh, you know I do remember almost most of the concerts that we went to the, the Christians out front talking and trying to convince people uh, not to go in, even some Christian concerts I've been to, I've seen that. Uh, but, uh, but yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. That was one that just uh, definitely stuck out to me that someone, and they didn't necessarily preach the gospel to me, but, yeah. but they, they wanted to and wanted to get something in my hands to make me think about Jesus. And, yeah. Um, that's that's that seed, I guess. Having having that knowledge of what Jesus has done for me. 